no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth is weaker than the people's strength of one? But the union makes us strong. Hello, my name is Fortunato Rao, your host of Labor News Radio CHHA 1610 AM, Voce Latina. One hour with useful information. It is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, dug the mines and built the workshops and this miles of railroad made. Now we stand outcast and starving with the wonders we have made, but the union makes us strong. Good evening. My name is Jorge Garcia Orgales, and welcome back to Labor News. As uh, you know, this is Lucky Rao program, and I'm feeling from him with uh, John Humphrey and Andy King. We are running this show in the meantime. That Lucky get ready to take over back this chair, his chair. This show is about unions, about the steel workers' union, particularly. It's about working people and what unions do beha on behalf of the working people. This is about the steel workers union as I say earlier and the steel workers are not only workers of steel are in hospitals in schools, in universities, in mines working in forestry many 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 members of the steel workers do not work in steel but we are proud to be the steel workers union tonight Uh, we will have with us Bruno Dobrusin, and we will be talking about UMSCA. You are wondering what UMSCA means. is the United States, Mexico, and Canada Free Trade Agreement. The new Free Trade Agreement that was signed with Donald Trump uh, no long time ago, and is to be ratified still in our parliament. Uh, Donald Trump looked like to call it UMSCA, because that way United States is first. I would like to call, call it CAMUS, then Canada will be first, and you will remember the name of one of the most progressive surrealist author in, in the eight, 19th century, Canada-Mexico-United States agreement. I would like it better, CAMUS, but Donald Trump is the one that called the shots, and it's UMSCA. We will be talking about UMSCA today with Bruno Dobrusin. But before we get to that, I want to read to you something that is quite important for workers in Ontario and uh, probably workers in Canada. I want to read the article of the Now magazine, uh, article and news that was in many, many papers uh, on TV on February 25, two days ago, when the Labour Board rules in favor of the Fodora Couriers to form a union. You remember the Fodora Couriers are those guys that you see running in bicycle with a big red backpack moving food from place to place. They try to form a union, but the employer said that they cannot form a union because they were, in the words of the employer, dependent, independent contractors, meaning people that work for themselves. I will read the news uh, from Now magazine written by Natalia Mansoko. And the news said, 
The Ontario Labor Relations Board has ruled that couriers working for Fudora have the right to organize in a watershed decision for the province gig economy workers. Since last year, couriers and drivers who work for the company have been fighting to join the Canadian Union of Postal Workers under the Fuster Union banner. A vote to unionize was held last August, but the result has been sealed pending the settlement of other legal dispute between the company and union. Today's Labour Board decision revolves around whether Fedora workers should be considered dependent or independent contractors, a classification which governs the workers' ability to legalize, to legally unionize. Fedora as with other digital food delivery services, has maintained that its couriers are independent contractors. Labor organizers disagree, saying this allows the company to control workers' pay and schedule and meet out disciplinary action, but dodge others' employer responsibilities, such as paying for low wages following injury, eh, offering basic days and supplying gear. CAPW and Fuster lobby the Ontario Labor Relations Board to have workers recognized as dependent contractors. Quote, This decision set an historic precedent for precarious workers, said lawyer Ryan White, the legal counsel for CAPW, in a press release. Quote, It being the case the union, which has known all along that Fudora controls the way that couriers work too much for them to be classified independent contractors. While the outcome of the organization battle is still up in the air, the union added that the decision cleared a significant hurdle on the path towards certification. Meanwhile, reps from Fudora say things will be business as usual. Quote, we have received the Ontario Labor Board Relations decision. We are reviewing it and assessing how we will move forward with the couriers in Toronto and Mississauga. We respect the board process under the Labor Relations Act. David Albert, the managing director of Fodora Canada, said in a prepared statement, quote, Until the vote, voter list is confirmed and the unionization application votes are counted, the statement continues, we cannot speculate at this time as to whether the vote will sway in favor of CAPW and what this might mean for our mo business moving forwards. Organizers add that today's decisions open the door for further unionization effort by gig economy workers, including a recent push by Uber black drivers to join the United Food and Commercial Workers. Quote, this win is a precedent for anyone in the gig economy who worries about their health, safety and security, said United Food and Commercial Workers Pablo Godoy. Quote, Fighting misclassification has become a viable avenue to unionization in some very unstable and dangerous workplaces and for many very precarious workers. That's the end of the article. It's important to say that uh, the board has said that the job that the couriers made are no new jobs. Delivery of food has been made long time for many different, uh, in many, many different ways, but the only difference is that they have this platform, this software that they collect information and pass it to the courier. The employer said that that makes this job different. The labor board has 
uh, disagree with the employer saying that they control the workers, they decided what type of job they do, when they do it, and they even get people punished by suspending them on the routes, then uh, in the view of the labor board, they are not just independent contractor, as the employer said, but dependent contractor. The employer is the one that decides what they do and they cannot do, and as such, they have the right to form a union. We will see what happens. The votes are still sealed. They will be counted, but this opened the door for many workers in the gig economy, uh, Uber Eats, Uber Blacks, uh, Lyft, and many other workers in the gig economy in which we can say with not excitation that there is no innovations in this type of job only uh, taking advantage of uh, gaps in the legislation to keep exploiting workers in their jobs. With that, we will move to our guest of tonight, Bruno Dobrusin. And Bruno, good evening. Thank you for being with us. We will be talking about the free trade agreement. But before we start talking about that, what you don't tell us something about yourself? Our audience like to know not only who you are, but why you are talking about this and why we have to believe you. Thank you, Jorge. Well, it's a pleasure to be here uh, again. I think it was a, a few months ago that I, I took part in the program and it was a great experience. So I'm glad to be here to talk about the free trade agreement and why you should believe me. Uh, well, I mean, you should always form your own opinion. That's always very important. Get different sources. But I've been working with labor unions in Latin America uh, on the issue of trade from a labor perspective. And since coming to Canada, that has also been part of my work. And over the last eight months, particularly, uh, I, I've been dedicated to following the final stage of the negotiations of this new USMCA agreement, or CAMUS, as you would like to call it. It actually has three different names. Uh, in Mexico, people call it the MEC. Tratado Mexico and the other countries in Canada is known as CUSME uh, uh, for many uh, unions and then the US is the USMCA so I got some experience on the issue and I've been following it very closely so hopefully that can help in clarifying some of the doubts and questions that we have uh, Before we get into the new free trade agreement, I would like to kind of remind our audience a bit of the background. In 1988, Mulroney Prime Minister Ronald Reagan signed the free trade agreement, and it was a free trade agreement between Canada and United States. Uh, for us, important to remember the majority of Canadians voted against the free trade agreement in the election because uh, the Liberal Party and the NDP that have most votes together uh, than the Conservative Party were opposing to the signing of the free trade agreement with the United States and the signing or no signing of the free, the free trade agreement was the major point of the election. Uh, still, uh, Mulroney got enough votes to get the government, even when most Canadians have voted for the Liberal and the NDP, and pa signed the free trade agreement in 1988 with the uh, United States. 
eh, da free trade agreement remove many of the tariffs and one of the most important things to remember is that kill what it was called the auto pack. Uh, between before the free trade agreement with the United States, there was a deal between the two countries that each country has to make in the country as many cars as they sell, or each company has to make in each country as many cars as they sell. Let's say that General Motors sells 20,000 cars in Canada and they sell a lot more, 20,000 cars have to be made in Canada. And the same with United States. That made the auto industry in Canada very strong because many of the cars that were sold in United States uh, were made in Canada. The free trade agreement in 1988 killed the auto pack and that started the decline of the auto industry and the auto parts industry in uh, Canada. In 1994 is when the signature and finally passing of what is called the NASTA, the North America Free Trade Agreement, that is the predecessor of the UNSCA. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 1994, uh, January 1st, was the date in which the NAFTA agreement was put in place or uh, start to be in place in each country and perhaps many of you remember that that day was the revolt of the Zapatistas in the south of Mexico and it was the main voice opposing this uh, agreement that uh, will remove tariffs and make what you can say a free market all uh, in Canada, United States, in Mexico. From the point of view of labor, we can say that the NAFTA agreement killed 100,000 jobs in Canada. Many of them went to Mexico, in which, and we will be talking with Bruno about this, in which salaries are a lot uh, lower than uh, what the salaries were in Canada. Many of our workers didn't believe that that was possible. They thought that Mexican people have not enough skill, Mexican people have not enough education to do our jobs, and it was a big mistake. Like anybody else, the Mexican learned, the company built state-of-the-art plants in Mexico and start producing auto parts, arts, and many other things in Mexico that later on was moved to Canada. And that, again, it costed to Canada 100,000 jobs. Uh, we want to talk about a bit about NASTA, also, and most important, talk about UMSCA, but before doing that, we are going to our first uh, advertisement. Keep listening to Labor News, THAA 1610. <laughs> From Toronto, Canada, CHHA 1610 AM, the voice of our community, because we are a part of your daily life. The Caravan of Hope continues to merge its journey to Latin America, giving solidarity to those in need. To make a donation and to find out how we make our solidarity a reality, visit caravanofhope.net. Caravan of Hope Global Aid working and helping others, today, tomorrow, and always.
The San Lorenzo Church invites you to be a part of the Holy Mass at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. every Sunday, located at 2981 Dufferin Street, one light south of Dufferin in Lawrence. Listen live to our afternoon Mass at 1 p.m. through CHHA 1610 a.m. For confessions or pastoral meetings, call 416-782-2953. Welcome back to Labor News on CHHA Radio 1610 on the AM. And again, we are with Bruno Dobrusin to talk about the United States, Mexico, and Canada free trade agreement. Bruno, first question to you. We have a new free trade agreement. Why? What was wrong with the old NAFTA agreement? There were many things wrong with the previous agreement, as you mentioned. Uh, Canada lost over 100,000 industrial jobs. Uh, The U.S. lost uh, almost a million direct and indirect jobs in industries as well. On top of that, a lot of Mexican farmers got displaced from their land because of huge agricultural imports into Mexico that came out of NAFTA, and many of them became migrants to the U.S. Those industrial jobs that were creating in Mexico are often low-paid, with a lot of health and safety risk in many cases because of the intensity of production with the new machinery. So there were many good reasons to change NAFTA or even to scrap it altogether. But that's not the main reason why we have a new trade agreement. It mainly has to do with Donald Trump's campaign. So if you remember during 2016 in the U.S. elections, Trump campaigned strongly on getting rid of NAFTA, actually, and getting rid of TPP. Then he started to change when it seems that he could actually win the election to renegotiating NAFTA and getting a better deal for American workers. That was his main argument. And I I will say that uh, we remember, the steel workers remember, we can say painful, painfully, Mm -hmm. that... uh, a statement from tr- Trump and Trump campaigning because that has been the call of the steel workers and many other unions that NAFTA was not a good agreement for working class people. Not for Canadian working class, United States working class, Mexican working class. NAFTA was not a good agreement and for many years uh, we were asking for the dismantling of NAFTA. Not even the renegotiation but the dismantling, or at least a, a negotiation that allows a better voice of working class in the agreement. And Donald Trump, we can say, uh, stole our agenda. He was very good at doing that in many issues, with especially targeting union members. There is nothing in Donald Trump's career that is particularly better in terms of trade compared to any other Republican, but he caught the momentum of the the anger in many former industrial areas in Pennsylvania, where a lot of steel workers are based, uh, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, and that's how he actually won those states by being big on trade. Many of our members voted from Trump, uh, and I have to remind our audience that the United Steel Workers is an international union. We have members in Canada and in United States. Then. Our members not only vote and have the right to elect government on Canada, but also they have the 
right to vote and elect government in United States and during the Donald Trump campaigns our union perceived and they were told by our members that they were supporting Donald Trump even with, when our union was saying it's not a good choice our members went with Donald Trump many many of our members because of the reasons that Bruno just mentioned yeah, and it's important to compare with Hillary Clinton's campaign that was very supportive of NAFTA and did not even mention the possibility of renegotiating uh, any any deal, and it was very celebratory. It was during Bill Clinton's government that NAFTA came into being. So that contrast certainly played a role, and for Trump, it was a fundamental promise in his campaign, and it led to this renegotiation that we're talking about, but it also left to the U.S. leaving another big trade agreement that was a Trans-Pacific Partnership that includes most of the big Asian countries and the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and the U.S. actually pulled out entirely from it. So in a way, Trump kept his promise partially, and then he renegotiated this agreement that, uh, as we're going to see, had some, some positive steps, but a lot of continuation. Yeah, let's keep going there. What is different between UNSCA <laughs> and NASTA? Yeah, so in the when we look at the overall picture, they're, they're not that many changes uh, that will affect Canadian public, Canadian workers. The We can say that the worst damage of, of the trade agreement has already been done in terms of uh, all those job losses. And it's not really, uh, it's not factoring that there will be a huge wave of either job gains or job losses out of this new trade agreement in Canada or in the US. There is there's changes in Mexico's situation uh, on labor, if we want to focus specifically on that. And I think that's perhaps one of the most important elements. So the Mexican left, the tradition, the, sorry, the non-traditional unions in Mexico ally themselves with a lot of U.S. unions and some Canadian unions, not a lot of presence Again, uh, can, can we open a bracket there? You are getting me... I think we need to clarify something for our uh, audience, you are talking about non-traditional and traditional yes. Mexican Union. Can you clarify what you mean with that? Mexico has had the same uh, structure of governing politics until the year 2000 for almost 70 years, uh, where the governing party was a revolutionary institutional party, the PRI in Spanish, had always had a wing in the union movement. And these were the traditional unions. And they, they did something that it's kind of difficult to understand to uh, to un, to someone that has not seen how the process actually works. But they signed something called protection contracts. Uh, what does that mean? You are a businessman. You want to open a factory in Mexico. You call the union. The union guarantees a collective bargaining agreement even before you can you hire workers. So it kind of works as a temp agency almost. Um you already have the collective bargaining agreement and the union sign, it protects you. That's why it's called protection contract because it protects the business owner from potential strikes or from unions disputing those workers. Uh, and it has been a terrible system for Mexican workers. But again, if the union negotiate a collective agreement before the workplace is open, workers are not there, they have workers no have no voice... Worker has nothing to say about the collective agreement because the union has signed before they show up on... Exa years before in many cases. 
Um, there is just a new plant, uh, Volkswagen, that opened up last May, and they had signed the collective bargaining agreement four years before. So imagine how the system works in terms of workers having no voice, no representation. Many workers don't know who the union rep is. So that's a system of labor relations that had predominated in Mexico for many, many years, and that a lot of unions that did not participate in that, that were authentic unions fighting for authentic collective bargaining, wanted to challenge. And what they did, I think, smartly in this case is use the trade renegotiations to try to get to changes in the Mexican labor laws, which they actually got. And now they had a massive labor reform that was implemented last year and is still undergoing right now. Uh The United Steel Workers in Canada and United States supported uh, Napoleon Gomez Urrutia, the leader of the Mining and Metallurgical, uh, Metallurgical Union, Metal Union in Mexico. Uh, Napoleon Gomez Urrutia was in exile in Canada more than seven years because he was persecuted by the, the North American government sorry, Mexican government, and uh, now he is back and, and he's a senator in the in the new parliament in Mexico after the last election a couple of years ago. What you can tell us about Gómez Urrutia and the changes that he's pushing for as senator in the in the parliament in, in Mexico? He, he plays a central role for two reasons. One is that... Um, The new government of Andrés Manuel López Obrador, uh, the, the, the Mexica, current Mexican president that came into power in, in 2018, um, actually did not have a huge union presence in itself. And then Gómez Urrutia comes to fulfill that role within the party and within the, the Congress, at least in the, or in, in the official bloc in Congress. And it's a he's a voice that comes from a strong union like the miners unions minor and metal workers both sectors and he's been using his seat to promote a lot of the things that before would never have gotten into the doors even of congress so one thing is supporting and pushing for the labor reform to get authentic collective bargaining the second thing has been challenging outsourcing trying to limit and even make it illegal to outsource workers uh, in several sectors. And then the third one, which I think is very important, because of his exile in Vancouver, in Canada, and his connections specifically with the steel workers, he's being a key voice throughout these USMCA renegotiations to try to have a voice from Mexican workers and to push for these labor reforms to be key, a key element of this new trade agreement. And it's a very unique situation, and he's played a, played a central role in that. We will go back to talk about workers in a second, but before, you told us that Donald Trump said that he will kill NAFTA, and then after that he changed it and started renegotiating NAFTA. Why he did that? Why he <laughs> changed his mind? What happened there? Well, as you said at the beginning, why should you believe me? I will ask you why you should believe uh, Donald Trump on anything. I tried to invite him to the radio <laughs> show, but he's too busy, I think. <laughs> so Trump has done this with many issues. Uh, he's actually flip-flopped on, 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 on a lot of issues. In trade, there are two strong blocks that support Trump and that have been pressuring not to scrap NAFTA, especially the farmers 
have a huge lobby in Washington, D.C. They've been very supportive of Trump. And the farmers have been the large farmers, one of the groups that benefited the most from NAFTA. So they basically said, you can make changes, but there's no way we're scrapping this. And Trump uh, listens to money more than anything else. So he, he, I think he that was a huge... He played a huge role in changing his position, if that position was ever really genuine. But the increasing economic power of the farmers in the United States also cost a bid to the farmers in Canada, am I right? Absolutely, and, it, in, and this is another aspect of this renegotiation that is very problematic, which has to do with Canada's dairy market, and that now opens up a larger portion than what it was allowed before, and that was a huge concession by the Trudeau government, unfortunately. We will be talking, uh, continue talking about UMSCA in a few moments. We take a short break and extension, uh, extension announcement. More far away, more homes, more voices. Radio Voces Latinas. As Latin as you. From Toronto, Canada, CHHA 1610 AM, the voice of our community, because we are a part of your daily life. Listen to us all around the world. Visit CHHA 1610 AM.ca for new content daily. Welcome back to Labor News on CHHA Radio 1610 on the AM. Uh, this radio was known for in mainly Spanish programming, but we have many other programs in other languages. I want to mention to you some of them. La Bella Italia is an Italian music program Monday to Friday from 10 p.m. to 11 p.m. and Sundays from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Music and Medicine is an English-spoken world and music program on Tuesday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Oras Na is an English-spoken world program on Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Radio Natin is a Tagalog-spoken world program on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Labor News it's an English spoken word program on Thursday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. And you li are listening to it right now. Mr. Beast Bounce is an English speaking word and music program on Friday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. WhatsApp Toronto is an English spoken word and music program on Saturdays and Sunday from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. A mediation station is an English spoken word program on Sundays from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. We are tonight talking with Bruno Dobrusin about the free trade agreement between United States, Mexico, and Canada. And we were talking about farmers, dairy farmers mainly in Canada. And Bruno, how with other workers and how workers have been impacted by this agreement in the three countries? So, as, as we said uh, earlier, the biggest challenge with NAFTA uh, was that a lot of industrial jobs were lost in Canada and the U.S., so that really affected workers. Now, this agreement will probably not reverse that, even though that's one of the points that Trump has mentioned, but it's very unlikely because after 25 years, the industry has changed a lot and 
the supply chains have already been organized in the three countries. But I would say the biggest change for workers in the region is actually going to be in Mexico, and it has a, a few sides. Number one, on the auto sector. So now worker, now the one rule is that 40% of all production has to be made with at least $16 an hour uh, of wages. 40%. All in the three countries or in 40% countries. in Mexico? No, in the three countries, yes. Okay. So that can either... So Mexico in the auto industry, uh, on, on average for actual plant workers, it's about $5 an hour. So that can lead either to a huge increase in wages in Mexico or it can lead to companies making decisions to actually stay more in the U.S., But even that will be challenging now considering that a lot of companies are moving to the south of the U.S. where even $16 an hour might not be the rule in many of the southern states. Um, what will happen most probably is that that may keep some of the jobs, not create new ones, but keep some of the jobs and, and uh, delay the deindustrialization that, that we, we had before as a massive process. But if, if I'm out a worker in Mexico... And I used to make five dollars, and now I will make sixteen dollars an hour. Man, that I open a bottle, no, a bottle of champagne, but a bottle of tequila to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, a few, <laughs> a few. So it's it's, it's still. Um, we'll see how far that that gets. If if actually workers go from five to sixteen dollars an hour, that would be huge. It would be a huge change for for Mexico. It's already we're seeing a wage led development with the new government. They increase the minimum wage by 20% the first year, by 16% on the second year. So there is a big focus on wages. Now still, I, I don't see workers going from five to 16, but I do see a pressure to improve wages in Mexico and but to delay the moves from- Help me, me to understand, you just say that 40% of the production has mm -hmm. to be done at a 60 16% $16 an hour. Mm -hmm. And now you are saying that you are not sure that that will happen. How no, they can avoid it? They can avoid it in, in, in the main way they can avoid it is that it actually doesn't say that all of the $16 an hour, it's an average for the industry. So that includes all the wages of managers, of uh, engineers that take part in this. CEOs. CEOs. So that means <laughs> that on average... Uh, that may that may not change in reality, and I think that's one of the sides why a lot of the Mexican companies accepted that. However, why I think it's good for workers because it is going to put pressure on salaries and wages in the Mexico industrial sector. Workers, even though workers know this, a lot of we're seeing now a lot of the unions in the industrial sector pushing for higher wages and using these clauses as an excuse. A lot of more media attention. So I think we might see positive repercussions for workers, even if it's not $16 an hour uh, tomorrow. And I assume that if the in the auto sector workers start making more money, probably the other industrial sector has to follow suit because if not, people will be leaving those industrial sector to try to work in the auto sector, and that could create a problem for other companies. Exactly. And... And we have to remember that Mexico now has lower wages than China. Uh, and even with this increase in the minimum wage that I just mentioned of 20% the first year of this new government, 16% in the second year, Mexico's minimum wage is still less than $1 an hour. 
in the overall country. So we're still far from those uh, ideal $16 an hour that are mentioned in the deal, even in the auto sector where people earn better. But I think this puts a lot of pressure on companies to to make those changes. So I think that's that's a good, a good change for workers. And I, I think it's important for our audience to pay attention to something that you just said and to reflect a bit. The wages in Mexico are lower than in China. And we have been made believe that China was the worst country in the world. And again, many of our audience come from Latin America. And they, don't, they know that many countries in Central America and even in South America have lower wages even than Mexico. That people try to move to Mexico because it's a bit better than in their own countries. Then, just for a second to reflect uh, about what we hear about Chinese workers, Mexican workers, uh, workers in Central America, and start uh, thinking kind of on our own and not accepting what we are told by the main media, uh, especially some of the media that they make an exercise, almost an sport, to attack China. And by the way, I'm not defending China. I'm just saying that things are not as simple as we are told. No, absolutely. Yeah. And there is a big shift in Mexico, even on the business sector. And it has a, a, to do with this trade deal. Mexico does not want to be known for its low wages anymore. And that's part of the shift that is happening, the, especially with this new government. You say Mexico on the new government. Because it's, I, it's if it's the old, the old government and that look, thing, I'm not sure. Right. It's quite a consensus right now. When you look at uh, the minimum wage increases, for example, that is actually a tripartite uh, space where employers participate, unions and government reps, and they all voted for it. Um, so there is some consensus that you cannot continue keeping wages that low, that Mexico has to improve in productivity, has to improve in incorporating technology or higher skilled workforce, but that low wages is not the way to go and it's going to be very difficult to continue competing on those bases. One example of where that has happened is in the garment sector. When we think about the maquila industry on the northern border of Mexico with the U.S. What, what is the maquila industry, please? Maquila is... The factories where basically there are no taxes charged by any local government to companies to set up shop uh, very quickly. It's very um, labor-intensive processes. That's what usually they're used for garment. Um, and they pay low wages, they're very intense production, poor working conditions. And that was a big sector that initially grew out of NAFTA until 2005. But now all of those are moving into Bangladesh, uh, into Cambodia, where they have even lower wages. So Mexico is, from that experience, is seeing that just having lower wages is not enough to attract investment. Um, and that's why I think there's also a side of the employers that are saying we need to increase wages. It's not that they love paying their workers more, right? We have been talking quite a bit about workers in Mexico. How about the other two countries? What the new free trade agreement could mean for workers in Canada and United States? 
it's it's not a great agreement for workers in either of those countries to to be honest um i mean in the u they see expectations that improving labor conditions in mexico will indirectly eventually benefit workers in in canada and in the u.s um unions were very important in negotiating this 40 percent clause with the auto sector um but just like we've seen with Oshawa uh, in in Canada with GM moving actually to the U.S., um, reorganizing its production, I think there are other processes that are affecting it that will, will mean that I don't think this trade deal will really save workers from anything. It will not make things as bad. I think that's the best case scenario that, that we can have for for Canadian and U.S. Uh, workers, and I think in a way that's an improvement from from what it was. But um, there is one element that indirectly impacts workers, and it's that now there won't be a, a, a dispute resolution system in which governments get sued by by companies. That was taken out of the new USMCA. I was there in NAFTA. Why is this important? Because, for example, you're a government that wants to regulate. Uh, water provision in your city um, if you're affecting a private investor they can sue you in these tribunals Canada is the most is a country with the most cases against it for different public regulations many times they have to do with public services getting rid of this is a huge uh, improvement because now companies cannot just go to these tribunals and take you to court for basically doing uh, policies that help human rights. But uh, me, me, worker in Oshawa, how right. would that litigation situation help me one way or the other? An example, Ontario had a policy under the Liberal government that was to promote green industries in Ontario and it included a Buy Ontario clause, right? And that was taken to uh, one of these tribunals and Ontario was found guilty, so they had to actually changed the law and that law basically said that a lot of the new green industry will have to be made in Ontario so if you're a worker in Oshawa you will benefit from having local industries particularly being targeted for these policies by challenging that then Ontario had to get rid of it and then you uh, you were affected so it's more indirect as I said it's not that anybody will really be opening a champagne but bottle because of do, this don't foretell us that we are paying too much in hydro and those things because that by Ontario clause and the green policy of the previous government <laughs> yeah well that for like Donald Trump says many many things but it's not it's not a trade deal that any any worker will be jumping in celebration. Um, I think, again, the main improvement is for Mexican workers and Canadian workers and U.S. workers uh, may indirectly benefit, but it's not going to change change their lives. I think there is a way they could have done something similar to what Mexico workers did, which is use the negotiations to try to improve their own laws. So, for example, Canada and the U.S. have very bad laws when it comes to lockouts and strikes. Um, and Mexico has way better laws on strikes. And oh, we could have used oh, 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 that Hold it there. I, I always hear that the labor laws in Mexico are very bad. You are telling me that the laws are better than in Canada and United States? On issues like strike, yeah. You can go on strike in Mexico and the company is not allowed to continue production. Is not allowed to hire scabs. Or, uh, or replacement workers 
it can only do uh, maintenance like keep the lights on and the heating on in the factory but nothing else well here you can bring replacement workers the company can continue production so in a way i think it was a missed opportunity for us and canadian unions that focus a lot on changing mexican labor laws and not using that opportunity to say hey how can we get better laws in our countries out of this. I suppose that we have to celebrate and congratulate Canadian and U.S. unions for being in solidarity with workers in Mexico. We Very have to generous. remember that. <laughs> no, no, and I, I'm not laughing. I'm yeah. serious about it because in many cases in our history, uh, we cannot look too much to ourselves. We ask for help when we are in trouble, especially in some of our long strikes that replacement workers are taking place of our members, but not always uh, remember to uh, support other workers in other parts of the world when they need our support. Then in a moment in our history in which we accept uh, that workers in other countries cannot come First, I think it's a moment to celebrate and to feel, to be proud of. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it was a true case of transnational collaboration between uh, U.S. unions, especially and Mexican unions, and with a little also contribution from Canadian unions. Um, it's unusual to see this level of, of collaboration and yeah, of solidarity, as you said. Um, I just wish we could have gotten more out of it. We're taking another short break. You are listening to Labor News on CHAA 16, Radio 1610 AM. In your car, at home, at work, or wherever you tune in from, CHAA 1610 AM, Radio Voces Latinas. Ciao, sono Mario Marasco, conduttore del programma italiano La Bella Italia. Sono trascorsi oltre 12 anni, voce latina. 16.10 AM, i programmi inizieranno il primo di gennaio 2018, da lunedì a venerdì dalle 10 alle 11 pomeridiane, mentre la domenica l'orario resta invariato dalle 9 alle 10 pomeridiane. Auguri e buone feste da Mario Marasco, La Bella Italia, voce latina e buon anno a tutti. Radio Voces Latinas. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at CHHA 1610 AM. CHHA 1610 AM. Radio Voces Latinas. More voices 24 hours through. Programming continues. Inspiration to the workers' blood shall run. There can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth? Hello again. This is Jorge Garcia Orgales on Labor News on CHHA Radio 1610 AM. I'm here with Bruno Dobrusin to talking about the United States, Mexico, and Canada free trade agreement. Uh, Bruno, we talk about quite a bit about what it is in this new free trade agreement. I would like you to, to kind of explore the idea of what's next. Where do we go from here? By the way, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, for our audience, uh, Mexico and United States already ratified this new free trade agreement, but Canada still not. 
de Parliament of Canada was planning to ratify it in February. Uh, I think between the coronavirus and the native protest and some other concerns, suddenly the prime minister got a bit too busy. I'm not sure if yet they will get to the ratification, but for our audience to know, to understand, United States and Mexico have ratified the new free trade agreement, but Canada still has to do it. Back to you, Bruno. Where yes. do you think that we are going from here? So right now, as you, as you mentioned, we just, we're missing Canada ratification. Um, a huge change in the U.S. compared to NAFTA. NAFTA was voted uh, re only by half of the Democratic Party congressmen. Uh, well, more than 200 of, have voted for this new agreement. And while most unions oppose NAFTA, most unions ended up coming up in favor of this, uh, in the U.S. especially, of this trade agreement. So I think... But do they do it because they believe in the f trade agreement or because they were afraid that Donald Trump will steal the platform again saying, I told you NAFTA was not a good agreement, I changed it and these people wanted to keep the old agreement that was a bad agreement? It's, uh, I think the, it's, it's difficult to... I think the unions got a lot of what they asked. To be honest, the negotiations in the U.S. were surprising for the ideas we have about Trump as a very hard Republican. They were willing to give a lot of concessions to uh, the pressures from unions and from Democrats. When the Democrats won the House of Representatives last year, that's when they asked for this extra protocol that was negotiated throughout this year that basically made enforcement of Mexican labor laws a much more central issue in the agreement. So I think in that sense, what w what's next is, is going to be quite a broad support in Canada, in the U.S. and Mexico for the agreement. I think Canada is not going to have a problem ratifying it. Um, but I think the one thing that will open up a lot of questions, and this depends on how the U.S. election goes, is that the new agreement doesn't really mention climate change and the impact of trade on climate change and on emissions. And that has been perhaps the biggest critique is that it, um, there was really nothing in it. And I think if a government like Bernie Sanders, suppose uh, if he wins the elections in the US, he's mentioned that he would like to take a, a second or third look at this and something like climate change has been central in his platform. That would be something difficult to deny for a government of like Trudeau that also claims that climate change is central, although it doesn't practice it. So I think that's an element that can bring again a, a second controversy. The other part is that there is a, this, this agreement uh, goes for 15 years and it needs to be renegotiated or re-agreed upon and if not it gets cancelled, something that the old NAFTA didn't have. So I think what's going to change is that we're g perhaps going to be constantly renegotiating Uh, agreements as years and political moods change in the three countries. Um, and I think that's a good thing because before we used to see these agreements as kind of uh, petrified. They would be signed and then will be condemned forever. But we can actually, this shows that there can be challenges to it. Um, and I think that that's a path that we can we can look for to in the next few years. The Conservative Party in Canada keep saying that Trudeau 
gave too much, that he didn't fight strong enough for the country. What do you think about that? I think there is a lot of exaggerations. So I agree with them that Trudeau didn't fight too much, and that's, that's a true assessment. The reality is though, that they would have taken a lot of the same positions, just judging by their own documents. So in a lot of, and that's why I think at the end of the day, if they're going to vote for it because they agree with the the core of the of the of the treaty, and maybe there are a few things that they would have done differently. But I I actually doubt it. It's more about the fact that Canada had a very secondary role throughout the negotiations, and especially in the last year when a new protocol, as I was mentioning before, was added and Canada really didn't do much in those negotiations. It was mainly the U.S. and Mexico and then Canada tagging along. Now, uh, what do you think that the new Democratic Party think about this? What do they say about the new free trade agreement? There is a... as as. As you know from just watching the U.S. elections and what's going on, there is a big debate within the Democratic Party. The, I'm talking about the new Democratic Party in Canada. Oh, the NDP. Yes, yes sir. Sorry. Yes. So, yeah, and I think actually they have the same challenge right now. It's that um, a lot of the unions came out supporting the agreement, while the NDP had historically opposed this kind of agreements. Um, I think because it doesn't benefit directly Canadian workers, as we talked before. The NDP will probably vote against it. Um, and I don't think that would cost them much in, in a way because it's, even if it's rebranded as new, I don't think this is the most popular policy uh, that for any, any party in government or in opposition. Um, but I do see the NDP voting against it um, especially because of the climate, the absence of climate, and that has been an issue that the NDP has taken very centrally in the last election and probably into the soon-to-be federal election again. I remember that during the, bar the negotiation, even after that they signed this new agreement, uh, United States have put tariff in steel and aluminum into Canada that was impacting our own industry and mainly our members on the steel workers very badly. And even after signing the agreement, the tariff stayed for quite a bit of time. Why do you think that Donald Trump do that kind of thing? And do we have to be worried about him doing it in the future? Or do we feel that he's a good friend of Canada now? Look, I don't think we should be... It's unpredictable what Donald Trump does or doesn't do. Um, why he does it, I think it's purely for internal political reasons, trying to show to his base. As, as we said before, trade was a huge issue in his campaign, and it is for his base, and he's going to be loyal to that. I think the problem is that Trudeau didn't react imposing our own tariffs on U.S. products, uh, even just to threat the threat of doing that. I think... That's a key difference, is that we haven't had that kind of uh, defense from the Trudeau government that uh, you will expect. Um, Trump could easily do it again. He did the same with Mexico when he wanted a new immigration policy in Mexico. He threatened Mexico to, to put tariffs on their products until they changed their immigration policy. 
and basically stop immigrants from coming all the way into the border with the U.S. And he actually got it, so it has worked for him. Um, he will probably do it again, and I think we need to be prepared to push our governments to respond more forcefully to that. Bruno, we are at the end of our show. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. A very interesting conversation, conversation that uh, we not always have the opportunity to have a working people. This usually he is left to the experts, and those are the conversations that are really impacting our life. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, the audience, for listening in. As we always say, we need more workers unionized, and we would like you to join the United Steel Workers. If you want to talk to a steel worker unions organizer, call 416-977-4066 or 416-977-7274. Uh, ask them, explain them what is your concern, what is your problems, and I'm sure that steel workers can help you. You can also check our website, Toronto Area Council. The website is www.ustac.org and a friend us also in Facebook. Podcasts of the show are available for download in iTunes. Just search for Labor News. That is Labor with a U on it. We want to also, as every evening that we do the show... To thanks our studio technician Greg Fenton and also much appreciated of hospitality of St. Lawrence Community Centers wh from where we are broadcasting now. Uh, next week I will be here uh, back in this church. We will be talking about the International Women's Day. Good night everybody. Have a great evening. See you next week. Inspiration to the workers, but shall run. There can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet, what force on earth is weaker than the people's brave, the one? But the union makes us strong. Hello, my name is Fortunato Rao, your host of Labor News Radio CHHA 1610 AM, Voce Latina. One hour with useful information. It is we who plowed the prairies, built the cities where they trade, not the mines.